Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of our Lenten podcast on the book of the prophet Isaiah. Today, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, so get prepared there. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas once again. It's uh, two days in a row. We're uh, going over another popular Christmas passage that we hear uh, just about every year. Let's start off with our introductions again. I'm Brian Belter. I'm Pastor Gimbel. And I'm Isaac Conrad. The Magnificent Trio is back at it again. So we're going to read from Isaiah 9, uh, verses uh, 2 through 7. And Pastor, would you like to lead that for us? Sure, absolutely. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a, a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, Doesn't that make you just want to sing? Yeah, which part, Isaac? There's, there, as you pointed out, too, there's a couple of different parts, right? Yeah, because at the very beginning, you have the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, have seen a great light, have seen a great light. And then you have the whole, for unto us a child is born, passage. And that's, yeah, of course, yeah, from Handel's Messiah, right? Yeah. For unto us a child is born. Can I tell a quick story and derail us right away? Go ahead. Okay, so this passage always makes me think of choir in college. When uh, we were asked to sing this piece, our director said, he stopped us after rehearsing one time, he says, who's was? And we were, we were all confused. We're like, well, we don't know. Unto was. Like, unto was, unto was a child is born. born. So we always remember that, you know, singing unto was. So he's trying to get us to enunciate for unto us, oh. to try and differentiate between the vowels in between. So that became the running joke for the entire year that year. Fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a very eccentric choir director, uh, Reverend Charles Brown, up in uh, Concordia River Forest. Good times. Hopefully I'll get to sing under him when I'm up there. Yeah, I think your sister is singing under him right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, so she's going on tour, I think. Yeah, I think they're already... Next week? Uh, Sometime. Next week. Okay. Because that's her spring break. Yeah, good times, good memories in college. Next anyway. week, as of when we record this. Well, now you've ruined it. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, man, this thing is off the rails already. <laughs> bring us back, Brian, bring us back. So, what do you want to talk about, Brian? Jesus. This is all Jesus. Yeah, where do you see him here? I agree, but there's so many points. Which one do you want to dive into first? Let's start. Well, let's start with uh, the misconceptions first. Misconceptions. Yes. 
Um, yes. You you were mentioning one to me a little earlier that you thought uh, led to one of the bigger misconceptions about how the the people of of Israel viewed the coming Messiah, what they thought this person was going to be. Yes, when Jesus actually walks on the scene later, a lot of people were expecting Jesus to take over the government because the Jews had been living under someone else's rule politically for a long time. Basically, well, since the exile, right? Uh, Since another nation came in and led them out, they had to go back and live in their own land. But then from that point, they were still under Persian rule until the Romans came and ransacked them. And now, uh, even in Jesus' day, they were still under Roman rule by means of Caesar in the big picture, and then you had Pontius Pilate, and you had the Herods and other people that were uh, lording it over them. So again, a lot of people were expecting this Messiah, whoever it was, to go and take up their sword, fight some battles, gain independence for Judea once more. And I actually think this passage kind of lends a lot into that line of belief, because I think that if you're a good, faithful Jew, and you're reading about the Messiah and this one that's coming. You read a passage like this, and I think it's kind of easy to see how people could think that way. I mean, look at the look at the, like the military government language that's in here. Right, again. it does directly say, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Yeah, I, if I just told you that, right, whose shoulder, uh, if I said the government is on his shoulders, who comes to your mind? That's the president, the president. or the king or whoever the head honcho in charge is. Right, yeah, yeah. So doesn't that kind of mean, wouldn't you expect this Messiah or Jesus to come and do that very thing? And in those days, to to do that, you had to be a warrior, right, most of the time? You probably had to, yeah. You, know, you had so to conquer if it were Jesus, somehow, physically yeah. conquer, militarily conquer, in order to take that power. And it brings up, like, very clear military imagery with for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumults and garments rolled in blood. And that's like very vivid war imagery. Yeah, wars that have been fought in order for that person to get to that spot where the the government is on his shoulder, right? And then once the government is on his shoulder, then you can have that moment where all those military things are behind them, right? So like a, not just you're in the midst of battle, but you've already defeated and have won the battle. And everything else is just all settled there. Yeah, I mean, verse 7, too, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. The throne of his David and over his kingdom. I mean, so many, like, real-world, tangible government political images that go on there. And because of that idea that Jesus would be a political messiah and physically, like, recapture, reclaim Israel... That's what led to a lot of the charges against him. Why they were able to try him in a Roman court, because that would be trying to overthrow Caesar's power as well. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so that was one of the accusations that was made. Because if, you know, the Caesars all had God status back in that day. So if you basically claimed to be God, then you were basically claiming to be Caesar. And that was treason and punishable by death at that time. So that's why they sent him to Pontius Pilate first. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, because Pilate was the government. So basically the the Jews brought the charges of blasphemy. So blasphemy in the Old Testament is punishable by death. But the Jews don't have the legal authority to actually kill anybody without there being consequences. So they had to kind of work their way and say, well, we can't kill somebody, but the government can. That's kind of why they tried to use Pilate to leverage that 
say, hey, we have a guy that needs a die because he violated one of our laws, so can you kill him for us? I think is kind of the move that they were playing with all of that. So yeah, not only, I think, does this passage point to you know what Isaac was saying, that it gave them the fuel for the, the charges brought up against Jesus, but it also gave the people at that time an excuse to not accept him as the Messiah because it's not the image of what they thought the Messiah should be. You know, he didn't fulfill what they thought the Messiah should be based on some passages like this that they interpreted in that way of this needs to be our leader, our military captain, the the king on his throne, overthrowing the Romans and kicking them out. And that didn't happen. Kind of makes it easy for those Pharisees and Sadducees to not accept him as the Messiah. So then the question becomes... How is this prophecy fulfilled? Because it's very clearly about Jesus. Great question. Excellent question. Do you know the answer to that one? Yeah, you want to answer your own question, or are you looking to to us to start that? I'm kind of looking to you guys on this one. All right, well, the beginning of this this promise is definitely, uh, we see, we've got the opposition of darkness and light. Everyone is in darkness. We've brought into light. There's going to be a light shown in the darkness. To me, that seems kind of obvious, that the world is darkness, sin, darkness, death, devil, all that exists, and it's what we permeates our lives, right? Jesus comes, he is the light, cuts through that darkness. I don't care how dark something is, when light is introduced, the darkness doesn't overtake light. Light always wins. So, starting at the beginning of this, there's Jesus right there. Yep, I agree. I love that light-darkness dynamic, and that gets played up a lot in John's Gospel as well. He really talks about that, especially in chapter 1 when he goes into the prologue uh, and even in John's epistles, right? The the verses we say for confession each week, you know, if we claim we have no sin, we, we walk in darkness. and it, That aspect is, is all over the place in John's writings. But I think maybe I was thinking about answering your question, Isaac, in a different way altogether, and that is just that Jesus' kingdom looks different than, than what we would expect in today's world, too. And we see that all over, I think, at the Holy Week and the Passion narrative, especially, right? Because people are expecting Jesus to go and conquer. In fact, I was reading this today in my devotions, Mark chapter 10. Uh, Jesus uh, has two disciples I think it's James and John that says, Lord, we want one request of you. Like, we want to sit at your right and your left hand when you come in your glory. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not able to do what I'm about to do. So what I think what, what James and John were saying is, we want to be your, your general and your, I don't know, two generals in the, in the army of, of God once God is sitting there. That's just the way it came across to me. And you hear the other episode in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what Peter does there? Takes out his sword. Takes out his sword. Off the yeah, ear. because, and I think part of that is the fear, right? If if Jesus gets captured and killed, then he's not going to be able to do the military thing that he's supposed to do as Messiah. I mean, that's kind of how I've interpreted that a little bit too. He just gets scared at that moment. And then even when, when Jesus is having that confrontation with Pilate in John's Gospel, you know, Jesus says those very pointed words, my kingdom is not of this world. I think that's probably the key answer to this one. Mm-hmm. God's kingdom is not of this world. So God's government is not here in the United States or in Israel or anywhere else. It's almost like we have dual citizenship in a way as people. We've got citizenship in the United States, 
We also have at the same time a citizenship in heaven. So the the epistles talk about this as well. Oh, good. I thought you were going to say Canada, and I was I got worried. No, 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 no. I do know some people with dual citizenship in the U.S. and Canada. However, my parents are not there yet. But I think it's kind of like kind of putting it all together. I think it's neat to to look at this as a whole and to track it that the light came into the world. Jesus was born into this world, right? Then the battle did not occur until after he was crucified. I should say that it kind of was the battle. Right. right. Yeah. That process, yeah. the, 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 the crucifixion, descent to hell, battle the devil, rise again. That's mm-hmm. the victory right there. When people were expecting it to be on this earth. And then all this other stuff happens of the government is on his shoulders, the peace will increase. Call him Wonderful Counselor. So it just didn't fit the narrative that the people were expecting, but it does come true 100% and completely. Because people are expecting such a wonderful, mighty, everlasting prince. They're not expecting someone who is so humble that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and let himself be arrested and let himself be crucified and die. They think that someone that is that mighty would have pride and not be willing to do that. Yep, absolutely. This uh, backwards, upside down kind of kingdom is what it's all about here. Yeah, I always, in my earlier years, I always had a trouble with how... How did these people just not recognize, you know, he's telling them who he is and how do they just not accept that this is the Messiah that you've been looking for for all these centuries? But then I say, that's me in my Christian brain in the 21st century thinking about this, that, oh, of course I would recognize it, right? Imagine if you were those people and there's just this guy from this little backwater town coming in and saying these things, doing these things, blaspheming himself, not being this powerful, mighty military leader, not bringing about peace in it, not throwing out the Romans, not giving back the government of Israel and making them a mighty power again. When I think of it that way, I can start to understand. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I think Jesus' childhood actually didn't do himself any favors. Because that causes confusion in people. Because he's born in Bethlehem, and he has to go to Nazareth. And people are expecting, like, shouldn't a king come from Jerusalem, right? Because remember, that's, that's where the wise men ended up going first. They hear a prophecy that a king is going to be born. Where do they head? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that's how they get to Herod. They say, well, no, 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 it's, it's somewhere else. So throughout, throughout the Gospels, too, you have people say, wait, aren't you from Nazareth? The Messiah should be from this other place that's not Nazareth over there. But it again just goes to show us it's like they had one specific type of person in mind and, and something was different and Jesus just didn't fit that. And so then they're just rejected by it. Do you guys ever have that in your life too where you have like something specific in mind about how something should be or look like and then once it comes you're like, oh, that's not at all how I envisioned that I mean, happening. does anything... I mean, few things live up to the expectation that you have for them. Few things do. I mean, 
you get really excited about a trip, but then the travel is horrible and it rains the whole time. And then you come home and you didn't have as much fun as you thought you'd have. Or even if you did have fun, it wasn't the same kind of fun you thought you'd have. So the unexpected should be the expected. And that's what we see here. Hmm. Good analogy. And especially with this, they're trying to like shove God into a box with you have people trying to come up with their own understandings of God, trying to, like, with theology of glory, that God's going to give me a bunch of stuff, and they're trying to shove God into that box when really that's not who he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you look at the aspects of what God can do through the lens of your own wants and desires and how you want that to come back to you. And that, again, goes right back to what we're talking about with this prophecy about the whole messianic promise that what do they want to get out of this? What do they expect to get out of it? Yeah. I hear people say that today. Yeah, how, can, uh, how can God let this happen or let good things happen to bad people? Or how can a God send people to hell? Right. So it's like with both of those mindsets, it reflects what you're exactly talking about, where they they put what they think God should be in that box, and then when God doesn't do something that fits in those categories that they've created, then then they they have a hard time with it and walk away. You know which words we haven't mentioned yet? What's that? That I didn't really notice until now that we're doing this Isaiah study. Look at the end of verse seven: justice and righteousness. We have God's going to come in and bring those two things: justice and righteousness. So. That's another theme to keep our yeah, eyes and ears open for in this Isaiah to, study. Pay, pay attention to justice and righteousness. Jesus actually will bring both kinds of righteousness and justice ultimately. So there will come a day ultimately when we will live in God's kingdom fully and be righteous and have full justice with each other as people as well as righteousness in the vertical realm with God too. Well, I so I, I have knocked awesome my, my Isaiah class a little bit. I don't know if I did in this Isaiah podcast, but I wish I would have gotten more out of my Isaiah class at the SEM. But the one thing that was very rewarding was they did a word study. They made me do a word study and look up all the instances of righteousness and justice in Isaiah and look for patterns and stuff. So that's when it really bubbled up to the forefront for me. So don't miss out on those opportunities. That's an action item for all you out there. Do a word study of justice and righteousness in the book of Isaiah. Okay, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Okay. So, Pastor Meyer and I want to go and kind of schedule out our Bible classes for this coming year. We're going to try and come up with a theme for the whole year for Bible classes. We want to call it Back to School. So, I've, in my mind of crazy ideas, I've thought of a couple of them. So, one of them would be like a class on how to work with original languages and how to teach you guys how to do word studies and maybe even teach you a little bit of Greek and Hebrew. You think you would uh, there'd be interest from you guys or the congregation in that? I would find that interesting. I would too, but I'm kind of an oddball person, and I love the ancient languages. So. Yeah, so I don't yeah. think I could go as far to actually try to teach Hebrew or teach Greek. Let's do some but at least like, let's get on it. Okay, well, you can go ahead and conjugate all you want, good <laughs> sir. Take those participles, please. Those are the worst. Yeah, if, you're, if you've ever learned a different language, participles are the worst because they take a noun and a verb and they put them together, so it just takes two huge concepts and now you have to mess, 
mess with them all together. Pretty much any language. But yeah. So anyway, that was one of my crazy ideas, like a working with original languages class. So it's so then I would walk you through in class saying, here's some resources where you can go and do a word study on this. Here's what you can find out about the Old Testament word for justice. Here's where you can find out about the Old Testament word for, for righteousness. And see where they pop up. I don't know. I just think that'd be that'd stretch me a little bit. Hopefully stretch the congregation too. And for all of you listening, go ahead and let Pastor Gimbel know how you feel about that too. All right. Always appreciate your feedback on this. Yeah. See, these podcast things are just a challenging thing just because you kind of cast it out there and don't have the same kind of response like we do in a sermon. Like when I'm preaching a sermon, I can see people's interest and shake hands after church. But with this, it's a lot different because we're literally just sitting in a room and we're going to go to our cars and drive home and probably not talk to anybody about what we did. That's why we really do appreciate if you uh, are online, you know, to get those comments out there. Let us know some thoughts you might have, some things you like, some things you don't like. What would you like to hear more about? Star Wars. Yeah, more Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> just, come up to come, just up, come up to any of us at at services, or you know, before or after services on Sundays or Wednesdays, and just let us know what you're thinking too. Yeah, and we'd be happy to have you on as a guest as well. Oh yeah, we should throw that, that out invitation. as a promotion for sure. So if you'd if, like to, if you don't need to be a Bible scholar to do this. I should say because we certainly are not. Well, one of us is. I'll let you guess which one. It's kind of me, but I'm I'm a student of the Word too. So, like, even going through this today, I had some new things that I just hadn't seen before. That's the cool thing about God's Word. There's always something new. There's no matter how many times you read the same passages over and over, something new pops out at you almost every time. I thought that's a good way to end this episode, do a little self-promotion and uh, ask for some feedback. (laughs) How about Uh, some more shameless self-promotion here? We should do some more shameless self-promotion. So, what have we got coming up? We got our Wednesday service again on coming up ahead. So we heard uh, Pastor Walker give an introduction to our sermon series, and now we're going to look ahead. We're going to have uh, Reverend Dennis Wittenberger will be preaching for us on Wednesday, uh, 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. And guess what we have before the 7 p.m. service? I believe at 5.45 there's going to be another dinner. There is. What's and for dinner? I think it's a mystery. Is that right? It is. The, the staff is uh, putting together a mystery meal. It makes me really nervous, but also a little intrigued. So it's not much would, I'll turn my nose up at. But, so uh, since I am on the staff and kind of in charge of this, would it be helpful to have some kind of clue or what? You do what you do. You're the senior pastor. Well, <laughs> I just default to that whenever he asks me a question. Well, okay, they didn't train. The senior they didn't train me as to how to host a Lent <laughs> midweek meal. That wasn't a course. You didn't have no. cooking one hundred and one at the Sim. No, uh, my wife is the one that cooks in the house, so I do like mac and cheese and I microwave hot dogs. That's what we're having, and now, if, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, no. We, <laughs> if Pastor Gimble was the only one in charge, then yeah, that might be what we're having. But thankfully, it's not just me on the staff here. All right, well, come and join us on Wednesday for that meal and find out what the mystery really is. Yeah, that's right. And then coming up, of course, for the weekend worship services, 5 p.m., 8 a.m., 10.30 a.m., Saturday and Sunday, respectively, and Bible class in between. Yeah. Still have a great Revelation series. Don't want to miss that one. For sure. 
All right. So, as always, uh, we're going to end our episode with a, a word of prayer. And uh, take it away, Isaac. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather and um, continue to learn more about you through your word. Please help us to diligently study your word so that we don't fall into trying to put you in our own boxes and constrain you to what we want you to be, um, but instead let you be who you are and appreciate that. Please also be with us as we continue to have justice and righteousness. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.